right, folks, welcome back to another episode of Mostly Ghostly. I'm one of your two hosts for this show, Matthew Fisher, and I'm joined by the great Ray Booten. How you doing over there, Ray? Uh, not too bad. How about you? You know, I'm doing all right. Um, same old. I usually find myself being the same. You know, it's one of those things, unfortunately. You, you know, every now and then it might get a little better, it might get a little worse, but I guess you can't complain with the same, you know? Nope. I'll take the same over a bad day. You know, you got to kind of gamble with that same, with the same, you know, where you could have that good day where you could go, oh, you know, yeah, you know, I, I'm glad I got the good day and didn't have the same day. But then again, you could have the bad day and say, hey, wish I had the same day. So back to reality. I'm, I'm losing my mind from from the gecko on this sh- from the gecko on this episode. Well, if, you, if you lose it, you'll be joining me because mine was lost a long while ago. I'll meet you wandering out there somewhere in the ether. I like that. I like that. I like that. You know, um, the ether. Where the term the ether come from, right? You know, ether uh, is left. They use they use that as the oh, it's kind of hard to describe the ether. It's kind of like the place where kind of like spirits go. Yeah, it's like the unknown, right? It's like out in the atmosphere. Yeah, kind of like a boundary or part of the spirit world. Yeah, it's floating out there in the ether, in the imagination, in the heart, the hearts of men. Um, you know today's episode. Um, we're gonna we're gonna pop into real quick in a moment, but we just wanted to say one time before we started up. Uh, next week, you know, will be our episode with uh, where we're answering a bunch of questions from the social medias. So uh, if you uh, haven't already popped on and sent uh, a question over to the mostly ghostly Facebook page, I'd say do so immediately. You know, do not do not haste. Put down your dinner. Put down your kid if need be. Don't even put the diaper on the kid. Just run out the door immediately. Um, and then run back into the door immediately and grab your computer or your cell phone. Do up that, that diaper and go cast your uh, question for the mostly ghostly Thanksgiving-ish, question-ish, answer-ish session. How you feeling? You getting excited for that, Ray? Oh yeah, I I love that because you never know what they're going to be, and it's it's always interesting discussing that those questions. Yeah, I've seen a few questions so far um, that we kind of touched bases on in the past, but uh, that just means we have new 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 audience out there. You know what I mean? Which is a beautiful thing, and uh, it'll be fun to jump back in. And it was cool because there were certain I was seeing questions, and I was trying to put episodes if we t- if we if we dabbled in that before. You know, a little cross-contamination uh, promotion, you know. You know, get some info for this coming episode as well as get some get some ears on some older episodes. It's a beautiful thing, you know. The paranormal community is a good community, man. I must say, uh, very welcoming and very good folks. Um, a little more welcoming than other communities we've dealt with in the past. Just continue to deal with, you know. Um, how do you How do you like... How do you like the, yeah. the accept the accept ends 
the acceptance we've had with the paranormal community th- thus far. I love it. They've been very good. Very good folks, yeah. Can't find, uh, you know, I think it's that thing when you got a whole bunch of people that they're all like-minded and, 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 and you know, they're all kind of fighting the same battle. Um, you kind of catch that. There's more, there's almost a little more community within, you know what I mean? The oh, yeah. So, this week's episode, folks, we are going to be diving into a subject we kind of talked about in an episode before, but not as detailed as this. And we're going to do a little uh, a little debunking, maybe, you know, a little opinion giving uh, towards the end of this one of different stories. But what we're going to talk about today is what exactly happens in these circumstances where you hear about people passing on, um, seeing things, and then coming back to life and uh, having a good story to tell. And uh, I do believe in these things as I well, damn well know my co-host over there, Ray Booten believes in these things because he has encountered such things as a youngster. Um, and I remember your stories uh, of this as just being a beautiful place where you found ultimate peace. And it was just so great that you realistically didn't even want to come back. Right. Oh, no. I mean, that was the disappointment was when I came back. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, the, this, you didn't want to come. I remember you not wanting to come back. You're happy to be back, I'm sure, but still kind of, you know, caught in between. Well, it, uh, enjoy this life. And what it does is it takes away any uh, fear of moving on. Yeah. You got the and you got the whole like near death experience thing, you know. You've got the, the 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 thing life flashing before your eyes, you know, some quick stuff, and then you have things where people actually go out for you know, I don't know, ten fifteen minutes, maybe less. I don't know. Uh, you can't really you can't really put a time on that stuff. You know what I mean? You, they they tell some pretty detailed stories. You know, like there's been stories of people that that. Their stories act like they were there for hours, which if you were uh, if you were there for hours, I feel like that might not be um, might be a little harder to come back from. Um, I feel like it's almost one of these things. Well, when you were out, how long were you out for? Ray? I don't remember because I went out during transport and I walked yeah. back up. I went walk back up in the hospital. The one thing I can I will say is that. If you cross over, if you're talking about the spirit world, then things in that realm don't necessarily go by what we consider time to be or yeah. our perspective. You could you could spend a lifetime over there, but if you come back, it could be just a few moments later here. Wasn't there something in the Bible about that where, like, Jesus said he'd be back in, like, a couple days or something like that, but, like, a day to him is thousands of years to us or something like that? Uh, I want to say I, I heard that as a kid. Not that I can recollect right off the top of my head. I should be able to, but I can't. All right. I, I mean, I could be wrong. That could be one of those things that I just heard that was a little uh, a little more boombastic, to throw in a cool word. Um, but, yeah, it's it's it's... 
it's interesting, you know what I mean? That's how I take That's my take on it. It's because, like you said, you don't know what this time is. So, yeah, you might be unconscious for three minutes, but in, in within this three minutes, you could almost do a lifetime. It's like dreaming, you know what I mean? You know, you could live lifetimes within a dream, but the alarm clock goes off and you were only sleeping for two hours, you know what I mean? Well, dreaming's a whole different thing. Um, well, I call it, well, it's similar. I can remember... I had a continuous dream where um, I kept on going back to the same dream and it was like I was living a life yeah. and this went on for a couple months. And in that couple months um, I lived a life and the dream went away. Then I went back to it and I could remember the dream when I woke up and I went back to the place, but it was slightly changed and I was walking around and I got drawn to a cemetery and I looked down and the name I remember from that dream was on a grave. And a voice told me, your time here is done. I woke up and I've never had that dream again. So who knows? Maybe I lived another life in that dream. Uh, 50, 60, 70 years, whatever it was, in that dream world. I don't know. All I know is I've never been able to go back. Meditating, dreaming, anything after I was told my time there was done. They say sleep is the cousin to death. That kind of makes sense a little bit. You know what I mean? It's probably the closest thing to death that we get as as living, as the living people. You know what I mean? I think that uh, when we're in that sleep state, we can communicate with those on the other side. We can cross over or receive messages because we're unfettered by uh, our human body and our limitations. Yeah. It's, you know, they, when people leave the, leave the earth, like Ray has attested to before in the past, they get the sense of peace, the bright lights, and encounters with spirits or people. Uh, in fact, medical treatment is good enough now that there's a difference between clinical death, um, which is no breath or, or pulse, but could still be resuscitated, and biological death, which is actually dead, dead, gone, dead. Uh, even cynics might get the chills hearing about these otherworldly visions from people who clinically uh, are dead or close to it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, you know, you the clinical death. That's kind of like the life support system. You know what I mean? It, it feels like. Um, and then you got the dead dead, um, which is trouble. You know, some say the dead don't die as well. That could just be a movie. A couple movies. You know, like Grace, the most glorious feeling. Uh, you must enjoy the, the, the loving feeling of it. Um, in 1994, orthopedic surgeon Tony Caricaria called his mom from a payphone during a lake house trip. They'd hung up, but he still had the phone in his hand when a blue flash came out. He hadn't realized there had been lightning, there had been a lightning storm brewing. He felt his body fly backward and then confusingly forward. He turned around to see his own body lying on the ground. I'm dead, he thought. No grief, no ecstasy, just fact. Um, you know, after watching a woman start CPR, he eventually moved on floating up the stairs to see the, his kids getting their faces painted, realizing that they'd be okay. Then I was surrounded by a, a bluish white light, an enormous feeling of well-being and peace. He told the New Yorker the highest and lowest points of my life raced by me, and I had the perception of accelerating or being drawn up. 
there was speed and direction. And then, as I was saying to myself, this is the most glorious failing I've ever had. Bam, I was back. The doctor who revived them became overwhelmed with the urge to play and write piano music. Interesting. Um, so that's a weird deal with the whole thing, you know. Um, electricity, of course, you don't want to play with, but there, there's something that comes with the electricity with that energy that it could start, could stop, and then restart your heart. So you have that element of the the life and death, the coming back type deal, you know. Electricity always plays a pretty important part. Um, what, what do you feel about him floating up the stairs? You think that it's kind of like, a, you know, he seen like he was floating up the stairs in his house, and he's seen this. I mean, he was on a he was on a payphone when this happened. So, like, I don't know. It's almost like he he went to his went to his children's house. You hear stuff like that a lot. We are. You know, somebody, you know, they get a knock on the door. Um, they open up the door. It's a friend from a long time ago, and they just say something to him and leave. Um, they want to say goodbye or something. And then the next day they find out that that friend was actually, you know, died in a car accident or something like that, you know, uh, hours before that, what, what they assumed to be that friend showed up at the house. You know what I mean? Not quite coming back from death, but. Yeah, you were about to say something, right? Well, I, w- I was thinking about when you were talking about the stairs and seeing the children. Um, in many cultures, particularly in the Far East, uh, when you pass, you look back at your life. And yet, what you see determines is determined by your attachments. And this goes for, uh, let's say, reincarnation. And if you're if you hold on to your attachments, then you're reincarnated. It could be that if you eliminate the reincarnation, if he was temporarily looking back at what mattered to him, which was the children. Yeah. And when he's starting to transition over, he's still holding on to this world a little bit by seeing stairs. These are images that he would be comfortable to transition. He eventually got out of that in, into that light and that feeling of peace. But for a few moments there, he was relating to things that he loved here and seeing things and images he was comfortable with as he transitioned until he broke free. Hmm. He did come back, though. Oh, yeah, he came, he came, he came back. It makes you kind of wonder, the whole thing with how everybody has a time, you know what I mean, how everybody has a de- destinated time that they supposedly die, what do you, what, what would you, if that was true, like, what would you consider stuff like this where it's like so close, but not quite? Uh, obviously not their time could be a lesson mm. to uh, li- live your life better. It could be simply that, um, the medical, uh, ability of the doctors to revive the body is much greater now than it used to be. He had begun to begun to transition over and then uh, they brought him back. But I really think it's, the reason I think it's more like a lesson, I was watching several documentaries uh, on this topic a few months ago and almost everybody who did felt like when they came back 
they had a new, a renewed purpose in life and in sharing the story to encourage other people, to give people peace, to let them live, live a better life now and know that there's so much more out there. Every one of them was changed. Yeah. Every yeah. single person. And it could be that they are, uh, tagged as the messengers, you know, go back, let people know. Right. Live, live differently and let people know. People need to know this. They've forgotten. Yeah. It's a weird deal. I, you know, I can't, it's, I don't know. I mean, I guess it would have to be, that would have, it would have to be a lesson. That's the only kind of explanation for it. If everybody's destined to kind of go out at a certain time, you know, I don't know if I feel, do you feel, are you a believer in that? Or do you, do you feel that everybody has a time that they go out or that anybody could, could kind of go out at any time? And I believe you could always say, well, the big scheme of things, you know, his time was come, you know, people that like take, take matters into their own hands. You can, you can say, well, you know, that way it was just always destined to be that way. But like, I, I don't know. What, what do you feel about that? About that whole, your time's already set. If people are saying your time's already set, my belief is that you're not facing death and that you're using an excuse saying, Oh yeah. Um, uh, no, that was their time. They're trying to make it easy for themselves, or let's say they're talking to a family member or a friend, make it easier on the other person to accept their passing, passing through. Yeah. I, it, and I think it's more of people being afraid of death or trying to counter the hurt that happens when uh, close ones die. Yeah. Now they, there's the book of life too in the Bible, I believe that supposedly has your, your, like your death date in there. Or is that just something that cartoons has told me or something for the ki- kitty, kitty religion, so to speak of like the pearly, yo way at the pearly gates type deal. And you're allowed in slowly. You got a ticket, like we're eating in a deli. Like the cartoons tell us you go to heaven the way you would wait in the deli to get roast beef. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think one thing, one problem with that is that we have to be able to distinguish that um, when the original books were written, who interpreted, reinterpreted the books when they were uh, translated or over time as society changed as different. I mean, it's unfortunate, but if you're talking about any religious institution, it is an institution and it's self-perpetuating. I mean, um, if you take uh, after Constantine and you had the Nicene, Cre- Nicene Council come where they consolidated and got rid of certain books, etc., they were trying to make sure that everybody was on the same page, which is why they banned over 100 books. Yeah. Uh, ancient writings, which uh, had a lot of knowledge in them. And then you have, um, on the Jewish side, you have the rabbinic writings, anywhere from the first century onward, that just that is all interpretation of what had, what had come before. You've got to take all these centuries and centuries of people reinterpreting, rewriting, and even if you're looking at a translation, um, scribes trying to get something right or somebody trying to make a point, even language differences. Um, you know, if something's translated into Latin, there's a certain word they'll use, that same thing. And no, <coughs> excuse me, 
early Greek translations were notorious because when they didn't have a word, they would choose a word that sounded the same. Yeah. That, that can screw up a meaning big time. Yeah. So there's all of that in between. So uh, when someone says, oh, there's a book. Uh, I don't know. Let's uh, go back and find some really, really, really old translations and old writings and see if there's a book, not what was uh, taught in someone's catechism. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. We got another one up here. Uh, this one's about Anita Morjani. After a four-year battle with lymphatic cancer, Anita uh, slipped into a coma in 2006. Doctors were sure it was the end, not realizing that in her near-death state, she still had a consciousness. Initially, she felt like she was floating above her body with 360-degree peripheral vision uh, of the hospital room and beyond. She told today she couldn't see her late father. She could see... She couldn't see her late father himself, but she did feel his presence. And he had a message for her. He said that I've gone as far as I can, but if I go any further, I won't be able to turn back. Uh, But I felt I didn't want to turn back because it was so beautiful. It was just incredible because for the first time, all the pain had gone. All the discomfort had gone. All the fear was gone. I just felt so incredible. And I felt as though I was uh, enveloped in this feeling of just love, unconditional love. About 30 hours after falling into a coma, Morjani flickered back into consciousness. Two days later, her organs started to regain function and the tumor started shrinking. Now she's cancer-free and is a public speaker and author of books like What If This Is Heaven? Um deep, you know what I mean? That's one of those crazy deals. Um, in a situation like that, there's a couple different things I want to pop into with this, but in a situation like this, what's your take on that whole, like, rebuilding? Like, you know, she, her body and everything was in a real bad way, and she had this near-death near, near experience, and this experience got everything kick-started again, you know, and it, the, the, the tumors shrunk, and you know, everything kind of remain, regained their function. And uh, it was literally like she, is that a lesson? I mean, it's a weird thing. It's like you, you go, you put your body gets pushed to the limit and then it comes, kicks back in and, you know, comes back. What's your take on that? Uh, well, I can I can think like if she was meant to spread a message, mm-hmm. then uh, when she comes back, she would need to be healthy enough to spread that message. Like a sign uh, of faith, you know what I mean? Like a sign of faith. The other thing is that the energies that she may have encountered in that altered state, those healing and loving energies, would uh, could definitely contribute to healing the body, rearranging the body. Yeah. Uh, getting rid of anything that was not supposed to be there because she now had a mission in life and what, whether it was from the spiritual experience and also the way she viewed things afterwards, she was able to go through that self-healing and take on that mission of spreading the news. You know, she felt like she was floating above her body. Did you get that feel when it happened to you? Uh, no. You hear that a lot, though. That is a common thing. Yeah, I wonder, I mean... 
I guess that it's when you're floating above your body, it's a good thing that you're floating and not being pulled into the ground. You know what I mean? I, I could, I can take some solace in that, take some comfort in that at least. Um, well, well, the whole floating thing, um, you also have to take a look at sometimes that floating is what really uh, solidifies it was a legitimate experience. They've had cases where people have been uh, floating and they were trying to revive them. People came in and out of the room, said different things and stuff like that. And then when they woke up, even though um, they were technically dead, <coughs> they were out of it. Yeah. They were able to relate. Oh, so-and-so came in and so-and-so came in. And then you did this. Then you did that. And the doctors are going like, how do you know that? You, yeah. you, weren't, you were dead. How did you know that? Your eyes were closed. You had no. You had nothing. How did you know that? Oh, I was looking down at you. This person I've never seen before, the one walking down the hall, that's the one that came in and brought you, brought you the needle or whatever. Yeah. And stuff. They're able to say things they should not be able to say, but they can because they were in that floating above that body. So it's kind of like a transition thing uh, between being here and completely crossing over. That 360-degree peripheral vision, too, that's just almost like... That's kind of very soul-like where you don't even have a, a skull to block your eyes, you know what I mean? It's just you see everything, you know, your, your energy at that point, I assume. That's what I, that's what I get from that 360 peripheral, you know. Well, I, I get that as what I call spiritual vision, which is not limited yeah. by, like you were saying, not limited by uh, what we have here. I know in uh, my experience, um, I had an awareness, but I didn't have a body. I really didn't even have an, uh, a name or any of the usual senses, but I had an awareness and I had a feeling and I was, but by every criteria you use to describe who you are in this world, by that criteria, I wasn't, but I was. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's a whole different world over there. Truth. The thing about the father I enjoyed because it it, it kind of called its own bluff where it was like, no, I didn't see him, you know, but I did hear him, which I thought was a nice touch. Um, the whole thing about him saying, you know, you won't be able to turn back if you keep going further. That's very eerie, very creepy. Makes sense, though, because I do feel like you would probably get to... You, after a certain point, you, you you know, which is a very interesting element to it, but makes sense. The fact that once you got too deep into it, you couldn't come back. What's your take? What's your experience with like that element of? You think that's something? I mean, it would almost be like the body dies, but then it's more spiritual. So like, it you know, you'd have to get back before the body dies, right? Um. I think it is, is just removing all attachments. Once once you go to the point and you've given up all attachments to this world, um, and then you move on completely. And it's, uh, whether you want to call it an energy thing or not, your energy is completely dissipated to the universe. But I tend to think it is, it is more a case of, um, and again, going back to certain rituals, um, where... And it, the time frame is different. If you take um, in many 
Judeo-Christian traditions are the original traditions. It was a three-day period before you completely cross over to the other side. You kind of float a little bit in between. And then after three days, you're completely gone. That, now, if you go over to Tibet, they have, a, I think it's a 45-day prayer session that a monk does over your body to make sure that you pass on. So over yeah. there, it takes longer before you become uh, fully spiritual, fully fully moved on. So I think that the, the acceptance uh, of what's going on, possibly the condition spiritually of the person, spiritually and emotionally of the person, will contribute to how quickly they move and uh, whether they decide to move or hold on to this world in return. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely interesting, you know. You know, this whole thing with the health is weird, too. It's almost like when she went unconscious, her brain was like, now we got to really do something about this. We got a problem. You know what I mean? And uh, started doing some overtime type deal. Because I do feel like that's capable. You know, I feel like the energy and the power of the brain and the will of, of, of you know, the body... Um, the will of the mind, you know, would would start shooting some energy at whatever that deal is, you know what I mean? And Because it, it is one of, you know, when you have a situation like that, any type of sickness, it is kind of like a battle within your body of your mind and body and soul battling off against this intruder that enters your system, you know what I mean? Um, you, all, you also yeah. have in, med- in medical studies, um, they call it the placebo effect. Once people believe that something is working, they start healing. It's positive thought, yeah. The, the, the pot, that positive thought, that positive energy can heal a body. If you tap into not only the positive thought, but let's say it has been spiritually enhanced, so to speak, by yeah. the whole experience and what you've connected with, and you've got that mindset, then healing the body, I believe, is uh, possible. Yeah, and the complete opposite is true as well. I mean, in the in the negative aspect of it, when you think, oh, you worry, oh, you know, people that say, oh, I have this, oh, I have that, oh, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get that. Like, they're more likely to get it because they're, they're opening themselves up to it. Like, I'm a big believer in speaking things out. I think you are too, right, right? Yep. And you just, you know, this is advice to anybody out there, if they want to try and make their life a little bit better. Uh, if they don't already do it, it's just speak positive things in your life, good things, you know, and it's a, um, just speaking them out into the world can help make them real. So, you know, it's that energy. Um, but yeah, I, I do feel that, uh, you know, her body could kick it in the gear or whatever it is. Maybe she got the touch. Maybe she was touched by an angel, right? Just like the show. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Um, next up, we got a story of Annabelle Bean. Um, you know, Annabelle Beam, this is more health stuff. Um, you know, Annabelle Beam had been diagnosed with two chronic life-threatening digestive disorders uh, at age four. By age eight, she was ready to give up until something unexplainable happened. She was sitting on a tree branch 30 feet in the air when it cracked. She fell all the way down and into the hollow of the base of the tree where she was trapped for six hours. She says she died and went to heaven. It was really bright, and I sat on Jesus' lap. He told me 
uh, whenever the firefighters get to get you out, there will be nothing wrong with you. Beam told today, uh, a lot of people like talking to today, apparently. And I asked him if I could stay, and he said, no, I have plans you need to fulfill on earth that you cannot fulfill in heaven. When she woke up, her illness had healed. Her mom wrote the book Miracles from Heaven, which was later turned into a film. You know, there. I will want to. I will bring up real quick, lightly, light sprinkling uh, things like films and books is why people will kind of fake stuff like this. You know what I mean? Uh, which is an unfortunate thing. You know, whenever there, whenever you have anything. Uh, really, you know, kind of unexplainable or, ah, you know, wow. Um, People will try and get in there and, you know, exploit and do their deal. Uh, But this was more more health stuff. Um, What's your take on this one? Falling from a tree, you know, a bright light. I I don't want to be a naysayer, but I do feel, you know, in a situation like this, maybe a head injury could maybe cause a bright light. You know what I mean? Um the impact, uh, for anybody out there who's ever had a, a hard impact, you do see a light when you get popped hard. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it, it doesn't stay on, but it flashes. The light bulb blows. You know what I mean? Um, so maybe it's something like that. And she went out, and the last thing she seen was that light, that whap. So it stuck in her mind. You know, because there's also stuff like that. I've heard things like that about, like, when you when you pass, you know, um, I heard like this really co- the coldest thing I ever heard a dude say. Richard Kozlinski, uh, serial killer, the Iceman, Hitman Mafia dude, killed a bunch of people, um, and he'd tell people that uh, he'd look him in the eyes and say, "I want to look people in the eyes because I want them to carry that image of me into eternity or wherever they go." And I thought that was like the most gangster coldest thing ever said, and. Uh, it's kind of like that. Imagine that if, if you, if that was the deal though, like the last thing you see is kind of the image you're stuck with. That's kind of unfortunate if that was the case, especially in whoever that dude was, he was talking about situation for sure. Um, but I bet a lot of people don't really go out looking. They usually go out looking at floors and, um, you know, ceilings. They don't exactly go out looking at anything too crazy, too cool, too cool for school. Usually the, Usually, uh, you know, maybe they could turn their head. Maybe they could look at a pair of shoes or something. But um, it's not – you're regularly not that great for them. I don't know. If someone uh, was killing me and wanted to look in my eye because that's the last image they wanted, then once I passed, they'd look up and probably what what they would see is uh, my spirit standing in front of them saying, I'm back. <laughs> yeah, that'd make them, them a living hell. No, um, I don't know if, if it doesn't really say whether she died. It just said when they find you. So I don't know what her condition was. Oh, I think, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point, too. I think she just, uh, he meant like, not for her not to worry because whatever issue was, he hailed her of whatever issue she had. 30, 30 feet's quite a, quite a, that's a fall. That's a, that is a damaging fall. Ten feet will kill you. You realistically could trip over your shoes and die. Um, so yeah, you know, add thirty feet to that. Forget about it. Some scary stuff. Um, we got. 
I would want more. I would want more details on that one as to you know what was her physical condition going in. What were the da- what was the damage? Did she actually die? Um, a whole bunch of stuff to be able to uh, accurately take a look and try and figure out what happened there. Yeah. If, if she didn't die, it could have been her belief system. Uh, being and being in an altered state, being able to contact in in spirit, um, and superimposing her belief system on that contact and that healing, and bringing that message back. But I don't know. I would need I would need uh, much more information. Yeah, it's more of that positive thought stuff, you know. We've got a. Uh... Our next story up it comes from a famed writer, Ernest Hemingway. You know what I mean? Very famous guy. Uh, when he was serving in the American Red Cross in Italy during World War One, he was badly injured uh, by mortar uh, mortar bomb. He apparently died for a moment, uh, but per Hemingway's style, he doesn't make it sound too flowery. Uh, his quote on, on, on such an occasion of what happened to him was, I felt my soul or something coming right out of my body, like you'd pull a silk handkerchief out of a pocket uh, by one corner, he told a friend. It flew around and then came back and went in again. And I wasn't dead anymore. You know, it's. I assume there's, you know that feeling you get when you fall, like that limp feel? Yeah. I feel like that's the that's the death feel. You know what I mean? Like when you feel you like it was almost that thing. If you've ever been like tired, super duper tired, or maybe slip or something, and you kind of your body almost gives way and you catch it. You know what I mean? Where like you you, you start to go down, but you catch it and bring it back up. I almost feel like it's a situation like that, but within that split second, goes into the mind deal where you could go in some wild journey in your mind that feels like you know. A distance when it really was just, you know, two seconds of less. He's also a writer, too, so he could, uh, our pal Ernest could be, you know, going a little dramatic, getting a little dramatic. Kind of a free-form consciousness there. Yeah. Free-floating. But I'm not saying that it didn't happen to him, because it's possible. It's definitely possible something like that could get down. Um, we got a, a, you know, the Near Death Experience Research Foundation, which is a real deal here, collects stories from people who have seen the other side. Uh, one four-year-old girl was in the hospital with a high-grade fever that had caused hallucinations, vomiting, uh, and when she felt her toes, when she felt her toes reach to the foot of the bed, she opened her eyes to see herself lying on a gurney before her non-body started to rise up out of the building. Uh, she says she began browsing through time. Uh, later, she detailed things that occurred before she could even talk. As she kept ascending, she felt at peace. There was no question or unknowns. Time wrapped in on itself. There was no past, present, or future. As well as it here, everything happened now and all at one time. I felt no fears or worries. I began drifting towards a beautiful light and wanted to touch it. Suddenly there was a pop and it felt like I was attached to a cord when someone grabbed it and jerked me down. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. You know what I mean? 
you know, I do believe, you know, it is hallucinogenic. They do admit to hallucinations on this one. So it's, that's got to be one of the hallucination is, is the only other, you have reality of the, of it all being reality. Then hallucination from trauma has got to be the only other, I guess, if you're going to go scientific or psychological explanation, it would have to be that, you know, did she die? No, I don't think so. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't quite go. It. It didn't really go into it. But I don't think. Um, no, she's she had to have come back to tell the story. I mean, I'm sure she died at some point, but she had to have come back to tell the story. So, I'm sure she kicked kicked into gear. Well, I'm thinking more about um, in that case there, her spirit of consciousness started to leave this dimension. I mean, time's a construct. Um, it doesn't really exist. It only exists because uh, in this incarnation, we can't deal with everything at once. Yeah. So if you know, she's starting to look beyond time and she's starting to see all of these different things and she's starting to transition and change. Um, and the universe is more than just the one we know or see. It's more like a multiverse, multiple universes and dimensions. If she starts to transition through that uh, before hitting the light, she would be able to observe all those different things. Yeah. I like how she says there was no questions or no unknowns, which is what I assume death to be. I feel like anything that you would ever have questions about, obviously, of course, the biggest question, but I think anything you would ever want to know, I think once you go into the universe, I think if the answers are out there, which every answer is out there, then you, you, you would know everything you, they, you would ever want to know, you know what I mean? Through energy type deal. You just, just by thinking it, you would know. Um, I kind of, that's how I kind of feel death to be like, um, what's your take on that? Well, some people, some people also, uh, believe in the Akashic records, which are the records of everything that ever happened or will. I have some doubts about that, but, yeah. um, I think that as far as having that knowledge, I, I would be available to you once you've transitioned over. And I also think that um, a lot of the questions you have now are things you consider significant in this life would not be significant anymore. And you'd have no reason to ask a question anymore, no reason to uh, even take a look at an issue considering where you were and what you were going through. What was the name of that list? Akashic Res- records the record yeah akashic records i think it's ak now is that, that's supposed to be everything that's ever happened in in one's life or in the world like in the existence of everything in the existence of everything damn as far as i know some people claim to be able to access it you gotta get that on a pdf you don't want to kill the rainforest <laughs> damn that's big you do that through meditation and journeying. Yeah. There's also a place called the Temple of Ascended Masters, uh, where great um, spiritual masters, and they can impart knowledge, and they uh, keep records. There, there's a whole different different thing out there, depending upon uh, what your belief system is and what you've investigated. Yeah. I like it. You know, the, the whole deal about her knowing... Her knowing about certain things that happened before she could ever talk or anything like that, you know, you believe in that being a thing? I do. I'd say I would. 
Oh, I do. I think the dimension of time has disappeared, and she suddenly saw uh, beyond her physical limitations, beyond the limitations of the structure of time that we put up to things that happened before. Um, she was in the body, the soul or the spirit sort. It's true. It's true stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. But at peace, they all fail at peace. You know what I mean? Which they would, I feel. I, you, you know, there's, I think there's a piece with it. Uh, we talked about, you know, the burden, the regular typical burdens people have in life that they got to worry about that, you know, we might not have been. When we were, when humanity first came on the scene, we weren't uh, like, you know, getting jobs. We weren't worried about getting jobs to, you know, buy iPhones and stuff like that and PlayStation 5s. You know, it was more of a just kind of get through the day, eat make sure everybody's alive at the end of the day type deal. And that was kind of your job. Um, but, you know, what can you do? You know, there's different things. Um, you know, actress Jane Seymour, you know, she, uh, while she was shooting the 1988 film Onassis, uh, she went into a anaphylactic shock when her bronchitis antibiotics were injected into a vein Instead of a muscle, I had the vision of, uh, of seeing a white light and looking down <clears throat> and seeing myself in this bedroom with a nurse frantically trying to save my life and jabbing injections in me. And I'm calmly watching this whole thing. She told the Omaha World Herald in 2006. Uh, she later uh, said, I remember looking down at the body that was mine, realizing I wasn't in it. And I totally grasped the concept that your body is really a vehicle. She said, you need to service it like a car. Uh, amen on that. Um, it's a weird deal, though. Um, you know, it's a weird, it's a weird deal. I, you know, seeing the, seeing the, seeing yourself. That, that's gotta be, that's gotta be something, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that didn't happen to me, but that would have to be awfully weird. And again, if, if you can give details that you shouldn't be able to give, it kind of confirms that the reality of the experience. Yeah. You know, we also have a surgeon here, uh, almost drowned while kayaking in Chile. Her heart stopped for more than a half an hour. Uh, soon after leaving my body, I was greeted by a group of beings who were simultaneously familiar and unfamiliar, which is insanity. Uh, this may sound strange. It does, yes. But I felt nothing but peace and happiness in their company. You know, we've talked about this before um, with the Archons, I think it was, where it's these group of people that are like the, 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 master, the master of puppets, you know. And, and when people think that we live in, talk about how we live in like a, a, like a video game type state where it's all like, it's not real, it's a Matrix type situation. Um, the Archons are like to deal with that. And that's kind of like almost what this one sounds like where you're approached. And I know I've said on the show before, the wacky thing that they say about that about the, the 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 light and stuff with that is that you're not supposed to go into the light because then you have to kind of redo the deal um and you don't get to ascend and this kind of does sound like that you know what i mean well as far as us being stuck in a matrix um 
I could put a spin on it. Maybe it's a divine matrix and we shouldn't be worried. Well, I feel that's more realistic, yeah, than it's not not real not Keanu. Keanu ain't running around. As far as going into the light, um, I would say yes you do. That is the best thing that can happen is being enveloped in that light, that peace and that love. Well, the situation with these stories, it's almost like if they go into the light, that's transcending into like heaven or the spiritual realm. And when they don't go into the light, they don't go any further. They come back type deal. So maybe if maybe that has something to do with it, if you hesitate and don't quite don't quite move forward so quick, I wonder if you would. It's almost like if you get it's it's almost like your soul's jarred and you have to give yourself give your body like a chance to start to recoup itself but you can't go so can't go too far from your body cuz if you go too far there ain't no going back into it you know what i mean Well, they may not be going back into it but then again if you don't go into the light you could just end up either one of two things reincarnating or uh you could end up as a ghost yeah, that's true. That's dark. You can end up ghostly, mostly. Um, yeah, it's quite a quite a predicament, huh? Dag, nabbit. You know, um, kayak and drowning. They say uh, they question when you drown. You know, we, we were all in, we were in a sack of fluid before we were, were given birth to. So, who's to say in a situation like that? Something doesn't slip back in. You, you, you don't get. You know. You die, of course. But um, maybe there's something about that that could kind of make you not die. I'm really kind of interested in the whole aspect of being involved in a situation that could kill you, putting you on that edge, you leaving your body, and the whole deal with not going too far. You know what I mean? So if you stay, stay, and I, but I'm with you on the fact that if you, if with the ghost thing, man, I'm with you on that 110%. It's a real, like, uh, very interesting little topic of uh, what, 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 what the deal is. If you're holding on to this world and yeah. the world you knew, like, let's say, you know, a ghost uh, haunts a house, and if their attachment is to the house and the events and people that happened there, that's where they trap themselves. And yeah. then they have to be helped to go the rest of the way. Because they, they at that point there, they're, they can't reincarnate and uh, they can't go into the light because they're totally fixed on the life they knew here and they're not letting go. So they've trapped themselves and that's, that's your ghost in a lot of situations. Yeah. There, we got another story from our NDERF um, Contributor Lori, 19 years old, she was swept into rapids on a rafting trip. She was trapped beneath the surface, and as the water filled her lungs, she knew she was going to die. Everything went black, then white, as if she was traveling through a tunnel. Looking around, I could see a room that appeared to be formed from pure white clouds, yet wasn't solid, she explains. In the room... Uh, were three beings made of shimmering crystals. Light shone through them like a glass prism, forming a rainbow. One was larger than the other two, but all of them spoke to me. I was afraid of them, and they seemed to realize this. Instantly, they transformed into what I recognized as angels. They didn't have bird wings. They had fibers 
like fiber optic cables that were shaped like wings uh, and pure light shone through the fibers, forming colors in all shades. When they spoke, their messages were sent telepathically. And the angels uh, showed her a golden field with beautiful music (coughs) with a tree and a lake nearby. A kayaking rescuer brought her to safety. Uh, Yeah, so yeah. She so she get she I should even know how she got back. What's your take on that? I like how she got a little more detailed with the angels and stuff, and she expressed fear because I assume there's probably a little more fear going on in certain situations. I would say so. Again, I I missed whether or not she actually died. She was rescued. She was rescued. Yeah. But um, none of the, all these people came back. None of like they all. They all went. They all started doing, came back type deal. That's the what they all have in common. Yeah, that that sounds like yeah. She saw things, but what she saw kind of, what she was unable to understand. So either they presented in an image that she could understand, or her mind, uh, in that state that it was in, put it into a pers- perspective that she could understand. I mean, and. Ultimately, if you're talking about angels, um, now you have representations in art. But does anybody really know what an angel looks like? Yeah, so, you know, it could it could be anything. So, um, being unable to comprehend uh, what she was seeing, she put it in the uh, in a context that she could understand, or maybe they put themselves in a context that she could relate to without being afraid. Yeah. I mean, as far as we know, by our standards, because we tend to label everything uh, beautiful, ugly, good, bad, whatever. Uh, who knows? Maybe in spirit, uh, an angel would look like something which, in this light, we would call but ugly. True. We don't. We don't know because, and it may actually be a glorious look, but we've already put a label on it and are, are calling it something and making a judgment. Yeah, that's true. It's uh, there's definitely some crazy stuff out there. If you have any higher intelligence or any higher spirit that's going to present to you, um, it's reasonable to think that they also might modify their form to put you at ease. Yeah, they're they're operating outside of our visual, our visual range in this dimension, so they got to try and make it easy for you. Yeah, it's true. You know what I mean? It's we got a, you know, we've been going over some of this heavenly stuff for a little bit. So I want to tap into some more hellacious, uh, scarier such such things um, over here. You know, the afterlife coding out, then crossing over into what we call heaven or hell. Uh, what happens to us there as we go, if anywhere at all? You know, the question is. But, you know, many people who have these near-death experiences, you know, not only have they seen, like I said, heavenly things, but they've seen bad things. So, with that being said, we'll flip into some of that. Um, 
You know, some of the things that people have felt in a negative way when they're doing these things is forced to sleep, I guess, is feeling like you're trapped inside of your dream. Unable to wake back up uh, is a horrifically terrifying dream to have. You know what I mean? For all those folks who's ever done it, they don't want to be there. Uh, but, yeah, they feel like they're being forced, held down and forced to close their eyes and uh, unable to keep consciousness. You know what I mean? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever, that, that? What that sounds like is like super-duper exhaustion, you know what I mean? When you just go, get so beat up that you're like, oh, not an out driving home, which sucks. I don't recommend it. No, yeah, that, that sounds like um, – I mean, I had – I used to work a uh, night job and I'd go in at 11, get out at seven in the morning and I worked on a Wednesday and then I went up to uh, the next day. Fortunately, my wife was driving. She took me to a shoot in Boston. It was uh, something on the discovery channel. Yeah. I got done. We got back. I had to clean up and go to work again. I got out the next morning my wife took me to a shoot to shoot a commercial. Yeah. I got out. I think I got like one hour sleep. And then I went back into work that night. The next morning, I walked out the door barely. I, mean, I was living on coffee and energy drinks. Yeah. Sat down in the steps, got on my phone, told my wife to get uh, my daughter, who is of driving age. And I said... Come and get me. I'm not going to last long. And sure enough, I was nodding off right there, sitting out. And this was in winter, sitting out on the front steps of this building, nodding off because I knew I couldn't drive. Yeah, well, that's good. So it, it's kind of it's kind of like yeah, if if you want to talk about being uncontrollable tired, um, that was like a three day period with one hour sleep. Yeah, and that that yeah, I can I can relate to that. Um, that's a lot what it sounds like. Yeah. You know, they also, uh, they say you're unable, un- feel, feeling like you're unable to hang on to things. Some near-death experience survivors uh, have seen hell. They give us a description of their spirits moving along with the inability to hang on to or hold anything. I assume this is like when they're grabbing to try and not go to hell. They move through people who are who are still amongst the living as they aren't even there. Many of the NDE survivors who have seen hell say that they moved right through the walls and doorways as if on their way to some place. No matter how hard they tried to stay behind, they couldn't because they were powerless. There was an overwhelming force present pulling them away. And no matter how badly they want to stay alive, the choice was no longer theirs. They were being dragged to their death or to hell. Uh, that kind of sucks, huh? That's fucking, that's scary. That, that makes sense, but that's, what a feeling of, a dreadful feeling of uh, not having control. You know what I mean? It's almost like you're being reeled in by, like, uh, you're a fish being reeled in, you know what I mean, into a bad place. I tend to think that's more of the people not wanting to let go. They won't give up that control to transition to a better place. So while this is going on, they're trying to hold on to the world. And they're in, they're in that in-between state. And uh, the other side is pulling at them, but they're just panicking and not wanting to give up the body and the life they know. Um, and in a, in a sense, that would be hell if you're holding on to this world that strongly, as opposed to someone who um, 
let's say they've had a spiritual life or let's, let's say they, I don't know, meditate, whatever it is, and they can recognize what's going on and they just give themselves over to it. Yeah. Then it's, it's kind of smooth, but as long as they, you know, clawing and grabbing and try and get, get back to the body, it's going to be like hell, uh, for you because you're just afraid of moving on. You're afraid of accepting, uh, giving up the control. And I think whether you want to call it enlightenment, you want to call it heaven, whatever it is, you have to give up control. You have to just let it go. Yeah. You know, some of them, people that feel like they've been to hell and back claim that they fall. Uh, they're being, uh, I remember being inside of a spiral vortex filled with darkness falling to their ine- inevitable demise. Now, I know the vortex uh, is something that Ray brings up a lot, which would make sense that if you were going, you would be vortexed down to hell. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, you could be vortexed, vortexed down to hell. Um, they could just be a lot of their fears coming out. They're, again, they're, they're afraid. And that, that I don't I don't know if it's a vortex to hell or the spirit somehow during the transition a vortex opened up and they're getting sucked into somewhere. It doesn't have to be a hell, it could be another life or another dimension. Yeah. Yeah, they you know, the the, the gates of hell. What another thing they always claim to see is the gates of hell and talk about how how extremely hot it is, you know what I mean? Naturally, most everyone has heard the rendition of dying and then passing on, getting to heaven with the angels, family and friends, and even God himself can be found hanging, chilling. Um, But, you know, now the flip of that would be, uh, you know, finding yourself at the gates of hell. You'd be standing there with your skin, it'd be burning, your skin would be burning up, extreme heat, you know, the doors swing open, and guess who's there? The red guy, the big red guy, looking for you. Um, I can hey, only, listen, yeah. If I'm gonna burn in hell, and that big, that big red guy is <coughs> sitting on that throne over there, and he's torching me. Since I'm already there, I'd probably say, "Really, dude, get off my throne." Whoa, that's harsh. I don't accept going to hell. It's kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah. You thought you you thought you were boss. You shouldn't have brought me down here, USOB. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, you know, I can give hell hell all I want. I mean, what am I going to lose? I heard raising hell isn't a bad thing. What it actually means is supposed to be raising them up and striking them down. I can only imagine the what what that visual of endless hell would look like approaching it with the heat and the, the, the hellacious, the gates of hell, if there was to be such thing, just like how the gates of heaven, you know, um, the pearly ones, the pearly gates, um, very creepy stuff. I've said on the show before, my, my interpretation, if I envision hell as I, a bunch of people almost caged, to the earth so they can't even escape it and they're all burning um terrible stuff very the imagery's insanity i tell you a lot of the imagery in literature has to do with the older cult culture thousands of years ago what they feared i mean if you know if fire were a big thing and let's say you know volcanoes were um something that could destroy life destroy people towns and all of that, then the biggest way to convince somebody that 
the worst thing that could happen would be like you're being thrown into a place like that volcano. You're going to go into a place that's like if you were trapped in a burning house. So fire, brimstone and all that becomes associated with the ultimate punishment, like being burned alive. And the same thing goes if you're looking at the positive aspect. You're trying to explain something in a spiritual realm that you really can't explain. And you're trying to explain it to people. So you describe it as the palace of a king that's gorgeous. That's, But the fact of the matter is, is it a palace? I mean, it's way beyond us. There's a whole universe. But if you're taking um, quite often tribal people and you're starting to say, okay, uh, you got this beautiful place and it's got pearly white gates. And if you're good, you go in there. And if you're not, you get tossed in that volcano. Yeah. So it's the images that people use to convey certain things uh, to society two, three, four thousand years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's craziness. You know, skulls, as far as the eye can see, are also something that they say they see uh, as they look. It's just littered, the whole littered Terminator style with uh, human skulls. You think that's more realistic or you think that's more of a, you know, good story? That's your more big, yeah. Your biggest fear in the old, the, your biggest fear you had, uh, if you go far enough back, was death. And what's the remnant of a, uh, of death is your skulls, your body rotting, and just a skeleton left. So you want to scare somebody? It's full of skulls. It's full of skeletons. It's full of fire. Yeah, because I almost feel like that's just imagery, creepy imagery that was tagged to it. The gates of hell, I could almost believe, is more of a realistic thing, even if it was just um, wasn't actual gates, but just fire or like you know the that you know that blurry look you get from heat, like that, like that type of look for the gates, um, something like that. That'd be my take with it. But the skulls, I think, might be a little too dramatic, a little too, you know hammed up, little too Hollywood type deal. Yeah, I think the skulls are that way. I also think the gates are that way too, but um, it goes back to an old rendition of explaining the unexplainable. So you put it in terms people will understand. Yeah. Or respond to. Yeah. They also say that they uh, they, they see people, <laughs> others who've died without faces. You know what I mean? Which is an interesting thing. Um. You know, it reminds me, my grandmother uh, had, a, had a crazy story once that she was out, went to go see my grandfather. He was outside the house, and um, when she approached him, she said that his face was, like, blurry. You could, like, see his, like, like, um, like the skeleton underneath his face, which was cre- creeped me out, of course, as a young kid. Blow my mind apart. Um but yeah, this is, I assume, to be faceless people. You know, why you wouldn't, I don't think you would be able to see them. I'd almost feel like people would be charcoaled up. Like, they'd be just as dark as the darkness. You know what I mean? But you'd be able to make them out. I tag faceless people as another fear factor. I mean, once you're dead, your identity's gone. Who you were is gone. You are now nobody, just a body. You have no face. You're not a person. And you're trying to. To say that, you know, if you are evil, you will disappear and it will be this faceless thing that you were. You're not you anymore. And to, to me, it's a literary device to scare people. Yeah, 
I mean, I, 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 it is. It's like a fear tactic for sure. You know what I mean? Um, makes sense a little bit though. Uh, you, they, they people talk about how they're unable to speak or con- they, they can't control their fear, um, which I can see that. I because first of all, seeing any of this shit that we're talking about in what you presume to be real life, it's going to leave you speechless anyways. You know what I mean? Um, it's probably going to, you're probably going to have a little trouble controlling your fear, um, as this thing goes. But yeah, I think when you're looking at all this imagery, I think there, there's not much really to say, you know what I mean? What do you think? Um, like I said, I think there's a, there's a hefty fear factor thrown in there based on the fears of the people. Um, like I'll, I'll make a very, very simple comparison. You, you take something like a shaman in a, in a, uh, Aboriginal culture that takes a journey to the other side and they come back and they have to describe what's on the other side. Well, it's like nothing on this side. So they start to use images that can convey the meaning images from this world that convey the meaning of what they saw on the other side. And that can even go to cave paintings. People go, Oh, look, look at that thing. It looks like an alien. Well, that's the best the shaman could draw for something that doesn't exist over here. It wasn't necessarily an alien, but it was trying to get an idea across. And I think a lot of this is to get an idea across. And if you're talking about hell is to uh, foster that idea of, fear, the unknown, the loss of identity, the loss of control, um, what's the most painful, fire. Uh, I mean, all those things we use to get an idea and convince you that this is not a way you want to go. Not being able to speak is very creepy, and I've never heard that element before to it. Um, Because I've always wondered, like, if you were to go to hell and you were to, you were almost to praise Jesus while in hell, like what that, what effect that would have. You know what I mean? Like you could almost counteract it, or, you know what I mean? In a weird way, you know what I mean? Um, in, in a ditch effort to be thrown out of hell, maybe, you know what I mean? But um, this creeps it out because even with you, if you can't speak, you couldn't even do that. You know what I mean? You would just be completely imprisoned if you were unable to talk. If you're in another dimension, the energy in your brain, all you'd have to do is form the thought and the thought would create the reality and that whatever is trying to imprison you would have to embrace that reality. Because, you know, you got your prayer, like raise, raise a big praying man and I pray from time to time and you feel like if you found yourself there, you'd definitely be saying some prayers, you know what I mean? But if you're unable to do it, that's the problem. Pray with your mind. God knows your soul and your mind. With all the with all the madness going on, you probably couldn't get your mind. You, you couldn't think straight. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Um, they also talk about intense anger and rage, um, which I, I I believe that is part of the energy, the bad vibes, and all that all that punishment and you know bad feelings going on. I think you know definitely. I think that would be floating around, and everybody be they'd be angry because they're there. I almost feel like that's part of the hell deal, that burden, that sadness, that hatred, that bitterness, anger, like all those things, all those terrible feelings that like really that weigh you down, you know what I mean? That we all, always talk about, hey, you know, you got hate for somebody that's killing you too, you know, you know, shit like that. 
Um, yeah, that's all there too. It's weird though, you know what I mean? It's definitely, it's an intense thing. Um, but the you know, rage consumes their body, their mind, and their soul. So, you know, it's still in the soul. Your mind, you know, your body, you de- definitely you leave that behind. Your mind comes with you, your soul comes with you. You know what I mean? It's touchy. It's a touchy, touchy thing. You know what I mean? Um, but, yeah, you know, next up there, the pu- there's a putrid, toxic smell that they all claim that they smell, which what I would assume to be you're in a place of hell where everybody's burning. You know what I mean? Um, I assume that's a terrible smell. What do you think? That's not Hamburg's. That's not Hamburg's with like a one sauce mixed up in there with some cheese on it. You know what I mean? That's not when you throw some, you've been marinating some steak tips for like three days, you throw them on the grill, and then the aroma that comes off of them, it's a different aroma than what you'd be smelling, you know, uh, with, with with a bunch of bodies and God knows what being burnt up into the Indian nostrils. You know what I mean? It's a touchy thing. Um, I think, you know, smells, bad smells have always kind of come with bad omens and stuff like that throughout time. It's just kind of one of those deals, you know. It's like, oh, because people hate it so much. It's like, it must be, you must have done something wrong. You got that smell around here type deal. Um, But, yeah, they said, you know, the smell of rotting flesh and haunting moans of other banished souls. You know what I mean? That's one of those big things you you always hear about when people come back. Because I heard the screaming. It was, I couldn't hear myself think there was so much screaming and carnage and just anger and yelling and just all types of bad news. You know what I mean? It's just, it's congested. It's like being in a noisy room of people screaming, you know, the unjust unsettlingness of that. You know what I mean? You put yourself to think that it don't sound hellacious. You know what I mean? To think of yourself in a room with crazy people, but like, think of it. If you really think about it, it is like being in a loony bin when you're in a room with 10 people just screaming nonstop all day long, you know, crying, people crying, people screaming. I remember I had a hospital stay uh, a couple of years back and I was in the old emergency room. And I know that the room next to me, there was a girl in there. And for whatever reason, she cried the entire time she was there, wheeled, wheeled, uh, gorilla tears, wheel tears, the biggest tears of all, just, ah! uh, I don't know what her deal was, but couldn't sleep, couldn't do anything. And that was, just, and I remember being so like, cause you get fidgety when you don't sleep and stuff and you're in there, you're sick yourself, you get angry and stuff. So I could only imagine, uh, that, you know, a hundred of those people in a room with you all screaming, crying, doing their thing. I can only imagine how torturous that would be. You know what I mean? What do you think, Grant? I agree. It'd be, I, it would be torture. And, yeah, that, that would be something something that would scare people. Definitely. You know what I mean? You're also going to deal with the, pe- the people begging and pleading, you know, to return home, which... Yeah, imagine that. Imagine if, if they knew you were going back, imagine the way they would be begging on you and pulling at you and stuff like that. That's horrifying in itself. Uh, you know, 
as dark as some darkness as that's that's actually dark roast right there you know what I mean but yeah it's, uh, I don't know it's, it's there's the, 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 the uh, every now and then on the news you would see you would have like a weird one of those weird stories that you weren't supposed to take as reality um of like people going to hell and telling their deal and they would always be horrifying. And it's, it's craziness. And I remember like in church back in the day, every now and then there'd be people that would pop up and talk about experiences they had where they thought they, they were living bad lives and they almost died and they went to hell and then they came back and, you know, turned their life around type deal. That was a very, you know, it was kind of a common deal you'd hear from time to time growing up in the old church. Um, but, yeah, it's you don't hear that much about it anymore. For 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 uh, like, I haven't heard of a newer story of this. It's all stuff from a little ways back. I haven't heard any, any new occurrences of this in, in um, some time. But you know, what can you do? It's one of them things. You know what I mean? Um, there's a cool photo called "The Last Judgment" for anybody out there that likes to go on the interwebs to look at stuff. And um, it's a very crazy uh, hell picture. Um, I've seen some more crazier ones, but this one's still pretty good. The, the demon is uh, super creepy uh, looking. You know, I, I, I'm very curious where this image of, of demons and the devils originally spawned from, because those original ones are quite interesting and creepy um, images, as you would expect them to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, we've got, um, you know, screams coming from everywhere. Like I said, that's horrendous. You know, I don't think people actually understand how torturous that could be on your mind. Um, being surrounded by people just screaming. Like, if you think about it, like, put yourself, put yourself in a room with a hundred crazy people screaming at the top of their lungs for an hour you're gonna want to. You're gonna want to either kill yourself or them, if not everybody. And uh, eternity is longer than an hour, I'm told. So you gotta fig- go figure with that. You know, but you know, damn souls of the dead. You know what I mean? They'll, they used to tell. As a child, my mother used to tell me, if you want to roll with the pigs, you're going to get muddy. You know what I mean? It's kind of shocking. <laughs> Kind of shocking how parents can be right about things uh, like that from time to time, isn't it? Some survivors of the near-death experience to hell and back tell a story of seeing other people chained and linked together, slaving away for the devil himself and being beaten by his demons. This is one of the places where uh, each individual story varies. Some survivors tell a tale of a solitary confinement, while others give depictions of hell in this manner. A hell filled with souls slaving away and working their fingers to the bone for Lucifer himself. Which, you know, you see that. What's your take on that, Ray? That's a good question. Do you think it's more of a solitary... I feel it's more of a solitary confinement myself. Or do you think it's like a big, like, fucking operation, like like a fucking uh, sweatshop type deal? I think hell is personal. I really don't think it's... uh, I think the... Uh, slaving away or the large group thing. I mean, that goes to the old images of slavery. People that were persecuted, slaves, beaten, worked to death, killed, 
Uh, I think hell itself is more of a personal thing, and it has to do with more with a separation from the divine than it does uh, being in a chain gang. It's more of a yeah. It's not that much of a group experience. I wonder why they tried to make it a group thing because the whole group deal does kind of make it not. If you're if you're trying to take people's identity away, I feel like um, you'd want to have them by themselves because realistically, yeah, anywhere you have multi, a group of people, they're gonna they will have identity through that. You know what I mean? But who's to know? Maybe they can't communicate. Some people said when they were there, they couldn't talk. So uh, maybe maybe talking is something they're not allowed to do, maybe, you know? Oh, yeah, communicating. I mean, you're also talking about, if you go again back to the old cultures, the tribal cultures, they were extended families. Everybody communicated. Everybody bonded with each other. And now suddenly you have to be alone. And you can't even talk to somebody. That's part of what would be scary for someone who uh, was living or came from that culture. Yeah. Truth. Yeah, some scary stuff. Um, demons and torture, they say. You know, these demons, you know, you don't want to deal with them. There's pictures you can go look at. Um, and there's something else, but... Um, you know, monsters, ghosts, and demons are a scary topic for a conversation, of course. Um, but there are also things you can find in hell. You know, we've all had nightmares of things that go bump in the night. And um, these are things that go bump in the flames, right? <laughs> what do you know? Um, but yeah, there are, you know, all types of grotesque, monstrous, ghoulish creepy, horrifying things down there. Um, I almost put it in, in a Lovecraftian. I feel like it's Lovecraftian in the sense of you have, you can have these demons and then you have all these slimy, wormy, creepy, you know, gelatin type creature dailies that crawl all over you and shit. Um, yeah, which are just as, you know, those, those Lovecraftian type creatures that are all wet and slimy and stuff are, um, I find them more, you know, more horrifying than these demonic. I, I take these demons as dried out from the heat. You know what I mean? But like, he, I almost like, like they burn you. Like if you touched them, it burn you. But they're but they're dry and rough. That's my take from the pictures I see of them. Whereas in the Lovecraftian things are more wet and slimy and, you know, creepier in their own right. You know, what's your take on a demon? Right, a demon from hell. What do you think a demon from hell would look like? Whatever it wants to. But yeah. I think that it, it would mostly be probably present to us as something distorted from, distorted in the opposite of what we see as beauty. Something that is uh, a personification of evil. Whatever scares us. Um, a corruption of good or a corruption of beauty uh, would be the demon. And in that case, whatever we see as light and beautiful and loving, the demon would be dark, ugly, and hateful. That's what you were talking about. That that was the vision I got in my head of like a, the beauty of it, where it almost mock it, where I could see it being like a beautiful woman, but like corpse-like, where it's falling apart or burnt away type deal, where we kind of want to mock. Because like, they're not fans, you know. Angels supposedly aren't big fans of humanity either, some of them. 
You know what I mean? So, and then the demons don't like the humans either. Well, you know, the devil, the demons and stuff the, used to be angels, so. Yeah. It's creepy, though. Yeah, they, I'm sure they could shift shift their deal. And, yeah, it, it, it could, if it knew, if it was intelligent enough to kind of know what, you know, I know the devil would kind of be able to know your life, so to speak. It would know what your your, your wife or kids would look like or mother would look like or whatever. So it could trick you, you know what I mean, in a way. You know what I mean? I feel like, but that's more of, I feel like the devil would have more power. Like a demon, I don't know if it could do that, but if it could, then it could approach to you. It could walk up as, as your kid, which is horrifying. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, to, to fool you. I mean, we've mentioned in the past how uh, the tricksters and one way to fool you is approach you as a child, something that you haven't, most adults have an attachment to, uh, particularly a, a helpless child. They're not going to suspect that. So they, they're going to present as one thing uh, unless you can see through it or they decide to reveal themselves. Think about how, like, traumatizing and horrifying that would be if it was, like, your a daughter and – but. It was, but it was burning, and it was just like it was crying and asking for help to stop the burning. You know what I mean? Like that's that's what I would assume hell to be, something like that. You know what I mean? That's like a perfect torture. You can't do anything. Well, that's the thing. It's you're seeing your loved one being, you know, burnt alive, which is horrifying, and it would ne- never like actually never die. It would just scream and cry and beg for your help. And probably even if it was demonic, it would probably start to curse you and, you know, ask you why, why don't you love, why don't you love me enough to help me like dark stuff? You know what I mean? Like getting your head like darkness. Like that's what I think true hell is. You know, I've talked about on the show before. I feel like hell is a lot of psychological, you know, I think it's a lot of that with yourself. You have, you got a life to live and choices to make and you got to right make the right choices and be some type of positive light within life and if you don't if you're somebody who messes with people robs people you know what i mean kills people you know if you're somebody that kind of diminishes life and happiness i think you're gonna have to deal with that the karma of that when you die and realize that you did kind of waste you know what you had and now you're a lesser form for it if you will you know what i mean yep but uh, it's and you know the bright light it it always goes back to that bright light though that's the biggest thing with all of them and I assume you know the bright light could be either straight up what they're saying it is is it's that that tunnel into the next plateau or it could be it could be something with them in your head you know because your body your mind is going to do some crazy things when it thinks it's dying. You know what I mean? Um, I agree. I think that people who have been gone for a while, and there have been cases where people have been out longer than they, uh, doctors say they should be able to be and come back. Um, the documentaries I was watching, one of them was gone for 20 minutes. They should not be able to be revived because the brain cells should have been dying already. Yeah. And uh, they came back. And so um, when they're talking about a bright white there, I don't think it's what a light, excuse me, bright light. I don't think it was uh, the brain doing anything anymore. I think it was um, they were in that light and they were part of that light. 
It's true. Wasn't there like a, um, wasn't there a, a, what was it, a study on, um, I just lost it too. Um, the bright lights, what were we talking about? Fuck. We were going to wrap it up after this too, and I fucking lost it. Um, man. I'm very disappointed in myself at this point. Um, fuck. It was a good well, point, too. And I lost it, dude. Fuck. Well, there's a bright light. Some scientists say that while you're dying, the synapses in your brain start firing rapidly, and that produces some of the memories and the images and what they call hallucinations, uh, which can include um, bright lights. But then again, if you go past that point of where the brain does that, the people that have been gone for a while, then there's no explanation for what that light is that they find themselves in. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You got me right. You pulled that right out of my head. That's what I was going to bring. I was going to be, you know, the scientific thing they say is that, like, you know, when your body starts to die, I believe that your body releases, like, an endorphin or something that calms you, that helps you almost accept what's about to happen. I think I've heard that somewhere. It does that, and the brain starts misfiring, and that's what they call the memories and hallucinations. And yeah can contribute to a lot of images, including the light. But again, once you go past that point of brain activity, like that 20-minute one, uh, people that go for a long period of time, then uh, it, can't be the, it can't be the science of endorphins. It can't be the science of the brain synapses going off. It has to be something outside of ourselves. And now you're talking about uh, the spirit world, and now you're talking about the light. Yeah. Well... It's one of those things where we're all going to have to wait a little longer until we find out what exactly goes down. But just kind of do your best to make sure that you kind of float on upward instead of, you know, feeling like you're getting pulled downward for some reason. You know what I mean? You're trying to grab for people and items to hold you there, and you just can't quite stay there. You know what I mean? You keep on moving forward. And uh, I guess Ray's a big fan of walking into the light. Ray, Ray's a big fan of lot walking into the light. I'd assume that uh, you should probably walk into the, the light as well, but it's very curious stuff, very interesting stuff. And, uh, yeah, you know, this is one of those things I think we'll, we'll, we'll officially know for shizzle, for sure, when the time comes. But it's always, 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 always... Very interesting subject, and uh, today was very eye-opening. We had a lot of good stuff to talk about. And uh, anything you want to say in closing, Ray? Uh, yeah, get those questions in. Yeah. So you, got about a, you got about a week to get those questions in. And if you do have a paranormal story to tell or something you want to go into in depth, uh, contact us about being a guest also. Heck, yeah. Yep, the 18th, we are recording our show on the 18th, and it'll be airing on the 25th. So you got another week exactly to get your questions in, and we're looking forward to hearing from you. we got a lot right now, but there's always room for more. And, uh, yeah, tell us a story or ask us a question, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll play it out. Play it out. And with that being said, we're going to play it out right now. 
and we'll catch all y'all on the next episode of Mostly Ghostly. <laughs> <laughs>